This podcast is not for children or the easily offended. The opinions expressed do not reflect those of the host's families, employers, acquaintances, or even the hosts themselves, depending on how incriminating said opinions might be. Coming up in this episode, Dan's shooting blanks. I'll be giving advice about where to take your children on half term. I'll be asking when is it acceptable to punch your children. And you'll be hearing from me, Stuart Goldsmith, with my fabulous egg box joke. Hello, welcome to the Sad Mad Dads podcast, the show where three fathers talk with you about their experiences wandering through the strange, horrifying and exhausting, yet wonderful, exciting and fulfilling world of being a reluctant grown-up and a parent. We're trying to get our heads around the fact that our creative dreams and desires and our small considerations in an increasingly complex matrix of family stuff that he's doing right now. We promise nothing but honest parenting. Far, far too honest parenting. This is episode 21. I'm Danny Douglas. I'm Rich Stokes. And I'm Pointless Rinser. And that was a kind of a faultless introduction. I'm going to stop congratulating myself when we do that. Because <laughs> it sounds really It shit. was only because you pointed at me. Otherwise I would have just paused like a nonce every time. Well, that's fair enough. But like a fool. Like, like, like a fool. Like well, what, like what's, a, what's, is there, like is a nonce, stuffed dummy. Is nonce a bad word? No. Well, doesn't it mean child molester? Yes. But I always thought that. nonce meant, if you say like... Um, you know, I'm happy for the nonce. That just means for now. It's like an old word. Yeah, I've never been happy I've for never the been nonce. Happy for <laughs> nonce I'm happy for the nonce. It sounds people just frown at you. They look askance. Yeah. I'm more angry about nonces. To yeah, there's yeah. definitely some rage going on there. Yeah. yeah. So rather than sitting here like that, I would say I was sitting here like um, some kind of stuffed animal. Okay. It's a strange transition, but we'll go with it anyway. Um, however, <laughs> to, to start the episode, gentlemen. I have a present for you. Oh, no. Yes. Now, um, just to give it context, yes, uh, first of all, apologies, listeners, it's been a, a little while since the last recording, due to <laughs> random crazy fuck-ups to do with family and, and whatnot. Um, however, update from the last episode, I've recently had a letter from the hospital. I am shooting blanks! <laughs> well done. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> To give so, it context, um, anyone that hasn't been keeping up may notice that... I thought we'd already had this. You already shooting No, blanks. I'd already had the the rip and snip, as they say. Yeah. Um, but that, you then have to wait. You then have to do a... Um, I think it's like a three-month bleed out, if that's the right word. Yeah. Of, of clearing the tubes. And, and they give this great letter saying, make sure you have 30 wanks. Um, wow. <laughs> before your test dates. Wow. That's the first time I ever needed a letter for that. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> that's it. Per said, day. Three months. <laughs> that's that's 90 days. And you're going to say, can you make sure you have 30 wanks? Like, hang on. Let me just do a quick bit of mental arithmetic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there's no problem with that. I am a, I, some people are <laughs> subscribe to Buddhism or Hinduism. I subscribe to Onanism. I'm a follower of Onan. And uh, he must have wanked a lot. Um, <laughs> but the, the sort Get of... Get named after it. <laughs> <laughs> the final point with this is that I am no longer fertile, which means I don't need these anymore. Right. Oh, Johnny, handing excellent. packages yeah. of many, many for, Johnnies. For the excellent. benefit of the listener, yes, we have been handed a guess. large bag We've of Johnnies. We've been given a, a supermarket bag full of approximately 30 condoms. So this is to make sure that we don't Amazing. have any little slip-ups. Now, I can assure you, first of Why, all... thank you. These Massive slip-ups. Well, yeah. <laughs> first of all, these are unused, okay. uh, unopened, Good. and I have checked My the sell-by date. favourite kind of condoms. <laughs> <laughs> Rather than the reusable type. Yeah, it's not the best. Um, but yeah, so that's it. No more kids for me. Well, you can want them anyway. 
Yeah, I don't. No. Two I've got are fine. That'll do me. Yeah. Anything that's, you know? Anything you want? I mean, I know I had a little bit of a rough, rough ride. With I it, was going to say it's more the 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 kind of soap opera element of of your rip and snip has been the various infections and terrifying indignities you've yes. been subjected to. So, Does that have they also written you a letter saying you're also free of infection and you've just got normal balls like everyone else? Your now. zombie bollocks are gone. No more carnivorous raids. No carnivorous raids. I forgot about that. Yeah, none of that. Um, Brilliant. And I think, although it wasn't the worst that it could have gone, I was kind of middle ground-ish. Um, but then, for example, uh, bloke up the road, went in two days later, no, I'm fine, and that's it, and that's how it's supposed to go. Yeah, yeah. So... Whereas other people have to carry their huge purple balls around <laughs> in, an ang- in a wheelbarrow. <laughs> Draining them like cysts. Draining them like cysts. <laughs> and they still have to have 30 wanks a day. All yeah. the way there. Come on. And some people have a vasectomy and then that happens. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Well, there you go. So, um, Congratulations, Duff. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite happy about it. It's, you wanker. It's good. I, well, yeah, and it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, I could so. spray it anywhere with no risk of anything. Well, lots of risk in many ways. <laughs> be careful where you spray it. Uh, this is a crash. <laughs> I realise no one here can be impregnated. This is just a public area. <laughs> hey, I've taken precautions. <laughs> Ain't nobody going to get pregnant. <laughs> I've tested everything. I'm clean, baby. Well, get it out of my macaroni and cheese. <laughs> you know, like, um, you know, if like you, someone lets a fire hose go and it just like, acts like a kind of... A snake. Yes, I do know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You did, you did a hand gesture of a sort of I wavy did. snake. Then <laughs> the well-known podcast hand gesture. Absolutely. I was it used to be. I you know thought about being a mime, but then didn't do any um, wavy no, right. snake knob <laughs> semen gags. So um, well, I'll be honest with you. The market for radio mime. <laughs> <laughs> Although it's, you know, we they say, oh, the internet age, there's a place for everyone, you can find your niche. <laughs> yeah. I think Radio Mime is still going to be one of those ones that struggles. Although I'm now totally starting a 55-minute Radio Mime weekly podcast <laughs> where I describe what I'm doing. <laughs> oh, just, just upload an MP3 of silence for 15 minutes uh, every well, week. That that's the thing, though, isn't it? The John Cage thing where they... Where he'll, he's got 45 minutes of silence. Do you remember that? About yes. 10 years ago? Yeah, yeah. Silence. Uh, probably longer than that, actually. Uh, where he just has the orchestra sit and do nothing. It's the sound of the audience and the orchestra in the room doing nothing. It's proper avant-garde classical music. So but by hearing... avant-garde classical music, you mean shit. A waste well, of fucking time. One man's waste of fucking time. There's <laughs> <laughs> another man's avant-garde classical music. If you listen at minute 52, you can hear the unwrapping of a boiled sweet <laughs> in road seven. <laughs> and, and a sneaky <laughs> fart from the tuba player. <laughs> you can hear, at, at 43 minutes, you can hear the conductor kill himself. <laughs> <laughs> to sheer death. boredom. Um, but mm. yeah, so I'll do that. Audio mime. Audio described mime. At the moment, I am a tree. <laughs> I've seen weirder shit, to be honest. But have you heard weirder shit? That's the question. No, fair that point. The question well, there's I'm your niche. You. You're done. That sounds good. I sorted. That is my life done. Fantastic. I'm, I'm completely sorted. I don't need to worry about this comedy shit or any acting <laughs> bullshit or anything else. You guys have been doing real shit, though, haven't you? Haven't you interviewed someone important recently? We've, uh, yes. we've done some amazing, amazing work. Well, I'm glad you two are on it, because I've done fuck all. <laughs> We're doing... I, I think I did email you about it. I did a group email. Yeah. But then I think I got a bounce back from your email address. Yeah, it's probably fuck full. you, Rich. So, <laughs> your ideas are shit. <laughs> so I was like, oh. That's just yeah. his standard autoresponder. It goes to everybody. <laughs> my, were, uh, my uh email was full. 
I do apologise. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. I, didn't I, know, I, didn't I was that too popular. Happen. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, I just didn't bother to uh, delete anything. I saw, read an interview with, um, do you know the singer Mark Eitzel? It's like from the American Music Club. Mm. He's a very famous American sort yeah, of yeah. tortured singer-songwriter. Yeah. He said when he got his first support tour, um, he was supporting, I think, Jonathan Richmond. And the guy, he went, oh, I, I'm such a fan of you, Jonathan Richmond, and thank you for having us on your tour, and this is our debut album. And the guy went, the next day, then I listened to it. It was so bad, so awful. I wish you went on this tour now. I really don't like your stuff. There's no tunes or anything. It's just bollocks. Have your album back. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he was like, I still like you. <laughs> that's bonkers. Not true. That's, yeah, yeah. But but that's what it was like when your email came back. You oh, do apologise. <laughs> no, I'm only joking. I'm just being an ass. Um, no, it's all good. It's coming up at the. Uh, it bit was later great. In the show. It was Stuart it was. Goldsmith. Anyway, he was the guy we interviewed. Yeah. Um, and I know our listeners will be champing at the bit because we've been talking about changing the format a little bit. So having other creative parents on the show to chat about their experiences mm. is going to be all part of it and um yeah he was uh he was a really good person to start off with really because you get worried about meeting your i mean he's certainly like a hero of mine someone i've been aware of for years and years and he's i think he's great um but you're worried that they will either not be very nice or hate you <laughs> <laughs> or you make a total twat of yourself well i sort of did that fear. but yeah. that was I, was I was i had the the mental safety net in my, I kind of, I assume the worst. I'm a, not just, not not like a glass half empty sort of person. I'm a kind of, oh, the glass is smashed and there's no more glasses kind of person. <laughs> so why worry about the glass? Yeah, so yeah. no, fuck it. The glass is going to be broken, man. It's made of glass. Um, <laughs> so I kind of assumed I would, I would fuck it up at some point. Although it's not that bad, is it? There's a couple that's of fluffs good. that I, early was, on I was, I was like, <gasps> uh, I'm in the room with a person <laughs> that I've only ever been aware of on YouTube before. He was stupidly down to earth and generous with his time, though. So it was a yeah, yeah. real, real absolute pleasure to talk to him. Um, so much so that he gave us so much of his valuable time. We're gonna, we are gonna split it between two episodes. So if yeah. you've tuned in, or just something. For that, yeah, yeah, we will um, do a something. There will be a. A sad mad dad's bit of it, or the, and perhaps we'll have the full thing somewhere else. Or, oh, could do, yeah. Um, for those people that are just want him and don't want us, which is fair enough. Well, you know, don't blame him to be fair. Yeah, no. totally. Um, but yes, coming up, consider us uh, content providers <laughs> in a couple um, of features time. Keep listening, and we'll uh, you'll hear it later. So, do you want to? I am awful at doing stuff with the kids at half term I don't plan it ever 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 I, they always I, fucking sneak up on me and on me and that's um, but I'm rubbish with dates anyway I mean I literally your birthday is not a million miles away from my wedding anniversary so those two things I can basically remember <laughs> right? I feel honoured yeah. my birthday and your wedding anniversary are on a par that's uh, beautiful yeah well but Thanks, mate. and I mean, you shouldn't feel on because I'm a complete mess. But like, um, I, I've got a vague idea of when my parents' birthdays are. I'm pretty sure my wife's birthday is near my dad's birthday. But you realise we're recording this and publishing it to the world, so. Well, uh, I'm I'm happy to, you know. But I can also I can remember the lyrics from fucking children's cartoons from when I was eight and things like that, you know. I can remember the, the theme song to Prince Valiant, which only ran for like one series and nobody else seems to know. I don't um, even don't remember know. what that was. It no. was kind of like, if you imagine it. all those kind of uh, Defenders of the Earth type cartoons. Defenders of the Earth. Defenders. Out of the sky, this rockets ignite. <laughs> but um, this was about a knight. It was like a Knights of the Round Table type thing, but this guy just wasn't one. 
He um, wasn't a knight. Well, he wasn't one of the ones that from sounds... the original Arthurian legends. Oh, right, okay. He was Prince Valiant, and he just went and did his own thing. Right, I, yeah. thought, you, I thought you were saying, right, it's <laughs> about knights, but this guy <laughs> wasn't, wasn't one. one. Yes. He's like, please, can you let me in? Fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> it was like roasted cramps in Gildenstern. He's just sort of sitting on the, on the edge, just sort of going, I bet they're doing exciting things. <laughs> Fuck good. off, Valiant, you can't. <laughs> What's going on? I'm George has just killed a dragon. It was fucking awesome. <laughs> Fuck off, Valiant. I've got a pie. Yeah. <laughs> Is it a nice pie? I've taken it. Bye. <laughs> I shouldn't have told him about the pie. Um, but yeah, so I can remember that, but I can't remember... In the remember. next exciting episode of Prince Pies. <laughs> <laughs> Join us next time. Same place, same boring things. Yes. He finds a thing and someone takes it off him. Um, but yeah, but I can't remember really important life-changing things. No. I'm just rubbish with stuff like that, really. Um, so half-terms sneak up on me, even though the school gives me a, a folded piece of paper with everything written on. I despise anyone that gives out paper stuff now. Yeah, yeah. It's like, if you don't email me, it doesn't fucking exist. Yes, well, that, that is very sensible. But I guess schools are different because they can't... They certainly can't do social media, can they? Because of the problems inherent in having a teacher on Facebook going, hi, I'm a teacher at this school. It'd just be, it'd be the equivalent of just putting yourself in stocks over the weekend. So like, hey, throw some shit at me. Um, but yeah, they don't have any kind of... They don't seem to... They sometimes update their website. Yeah, but surely you can have parents' email addresses. They must, be, they must have contact details for emergencies and shit. There's just no one that does that, though. Hmm. I, mean, I suppose, suppose they, email's not the best, is it? <laughs> Dear sir, please come and collect your child immediately. <laughs> they have got a s- severe injury. Yeah. Get yeah, back to me in three to seven days. <laughs> but what I was going to say was that this half term, I did literally almost several things with my children <laughs> <laughs> that I'd planned to do. Nice. Um, and what I do is I say to them, what do you want to do hmm. This half term with this vast expanse of time that you've got opening up, because one of my kids does capoeira, the sort of the martial art. It's like a Brazilian yeah, martial yeah. art that's also yeah, it's wicked. Um, but they cancel those classes. They they pretend it's like a like a like a semester term time thing, so they cancel them over half terms. So that's that's almost an hour of his time that I've got to fill with something else. <laughs> um, <laughs> But we went to um, Anne Hathaway's cottage because, you know, we're in the Midlands and there's Shakespeare and shit like that. It's well fun, well heritage. known, man. What, if you want to um, entertain kids, yes. Anne Hathaway's cottage. It sounds <laughs> fucking go brilliant. They fucking mental yeah. when you ne- mention their name. <laughs> <laughs> it's like McDonald's, they just tear the fucking roof down. <laughs> what? Shakespeare's wife? Yeah. Oh, goodness me. Yeah, sadly not Catwoman's cottage. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck me, I'd go to Catwoman's cottage. <laughs> Catwoman's cottage sounds great. Oh, this, yes. this is just for dad. Um, yeah. Hello. Going through a cat flap. I bought, I bought my, I bought my children, but can they be put somewhere? <laughs> but what I tend to find is like when you have any of these historical places, I don't know if you've been to any, especially over the last few years. They have more and more like volunteers who half-heartedly pretend to be from the era, but then can't quite be bothered to do it. <laughs> yeah. So they come in, and you're like talking on your phone or something, like, "Oh goodness me, what what is that witchcraft that you're doing?" <laughs> and you're like, "Yeah, fuck off." Okay. <laughs> right, but <laughs> um, uh, I can't. I'm not. I'm not going along with it. And they go, "Oh well, I don't have to either." And, and that's it. Yeah. And like, I mean, I've been hired to do similar things, and what I tend to do is try and do it as though I. 
don't care like from the era but i know what an iphone is or whatever and just try and be annoying and stupid and like horrible histories about it basically mm. so what well, can i ask you a question um, there so so i've been having, like, yeah having been the type of person that's had those gigs when, yeah. when you have to do it do you have less sympathy or more sympathy for someone who's doing it to you or do you just fuck with them i've not i tend to have more sympathy for them but if they aren't into it then it pisses me off. Right, because they're not um, they're not being professional about yeah. it. Sort of thing. Admittedly, like I say, I've already I mean a lot of these places it's volunteers anyway. Um and it's worse if it's a paid actor that's constantly going, Ho oh, there, good sir. Pardon me, I do not understand thy strange garb. What is thy strange garb? <laughs> Levi Strauss, who who might he be? You know? <laughs> and that's just like, oh fuck off, you fucking cunt face. Just because cut. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, we're looking for something else. We're going to go a different way. <laughs> yeah, very um, good. Yeah, I'm, I'm the offstead of the acting world. That was terrible. That's a four. Yeah, <laughs> ne- needs improvement. Um, but you know, it's just, uh, it's just people trying to rack up some experience in it. Um, but what I tend to find even more so is, I've got a six-year-old and a ten-year-old, and if they're not engaged, they break stuff. And I don't mean in a kind of like, <laughs> I'll be sending my kids around to mess with you later. They will just accidentally break stuff out of boredom because they'll mm. be like, oh, I wonder if I can swing on that. Apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently that bit comes off. One of my kids has broken a tractor. Wow. Literally, we wow, you've got to work quite hard to yeah. break a tractor. Well, that's what I thought. We went to stay with some um, friends in Wales who live on a hillside in caravans in the middle of nowhere. And there was like an old abandoned tractor. And both of them, both boys leapt on that because we've been in like a, a bazillion year. There's bits of Wales that are further away than like space, aren't there? You go from the Midlands, <laughs> yes. just keep going. Think yeah. of it as quite close. It's like, it's like eight mar- eight hours later. You're going. Are, are we nearly there yet? Well, we're about halfway now. And we got there, and they were sort of all pent up energy, and they got up onto the tractor and pretended they were driving the tractor. And I was like. Shall I get them off it? And he went, ah, they can't do anything to that. And there was literally like perfect comedy timing. <laughs> they can't do anything to that. <laughs> like something fell off it that second. And he was like, yeah, can you get them off it? <laughs> it's not Are you, my, not have my you tractor. that your kids aren't actually superheroes? <laughs> they got like Hulk type know. strength. There's that famous, there's that chain chain of books. There's a, there's a series of books in there with Percy Jackson where he's got ADHD and they go, um, everyone's horrible to him. He's dyslexic and he's got ADHD. And then oh, but it's because he's magical, isn't it? He's a god. Yeah. And they go, oh, it's because you're descended from this line of fighting gods and you've got to have ADHD because you, you're constantly on edge and constantly got to be ready to leap into battle and stuff like that. I've often felt like that. And yeah. I feel like that. Yeah, most so of that's, that's what's been wrong with me. I'm a god. Yeah. <laughs> no one's ever recognised it. Yeah. I need that on a T-shirt now. <laughs> that's what's wrong with me. I'm god. What's wrong with me? I'm a god. <laughs> you wouldn't understand. That could be on the back. Yeah, you wouldn't understand. I'm a god. <laughs> you wouldn't understand, mortal. But what's good? But with the cottage, they didn't. They didn't have those people. They just had informative people telling you information, which is fucking brilliant because then you can just ask them stuff and they mm. tell you things. Um, and the grounds are huge, and they've got like it's like a sculpture walk. So they've got a really really cool sculpture for each Shakespeare play, um, and they've got giant Jenga. <laughs> 
<laughs> you can't break giant Jenga. All the whole and, point is to break it. And ten pin bowling. Yes. So it was fucking brilliant. I know. in in the garden. So I spent about nineteen seconds in the house, um, <laughs> and we spent the whole rest of the time playing a really intense game of TIG around all these brass sculptures. Right, and so an this is now the perfect day. You've actually potentially educated them on something. Yes. And you know maybe gone in and been absorbed somehow, and also. They've had a great time and, and worn them out and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, so, I mean, they get the gist with Shakespeare anyway because it's not hard to, to to sell that sort of person to a kid. It's like a, a guy lived in the middle of nowhere, realised he was good at a particular thing, went, well, where do I need to go to make money off the particular thing? Moves to London, does that, abandons his wife. <laughs> um, oh, I didn't know that. Um, and, um, and I'm so fucking uncultured. It's does not his even thing true. and becomes like the best, the, the, the best person at it who was doing it at the time. Who are we on about? Hitler. <laughs> Hitler. <laughs> Ed Sheeran. <laughs> um, it's a well-known... Yeah, whenever you get compared, you've got, yeah. you got um, Shakespeare, Shakespeare, Hitler, Hitler and Ed, Ed Sheeran. Sheeran. Yeah. his wife, and he was quite good at what he was doing. And, uh, French, French it from painter. <laughs> yes. I'm thinking of giving up the painting. And I really get what, everybody. What, what are you going to take up instead? <laughs> Genocide. <laughs> I'm sorry, Adolf. It sounded like you said genocide. Then. <laughs> That's my boy. Yeah. But yeah, so it was good. But the best thing beyond all that was we went um, for some food afterwards. And you know when you feed, like my youngest is six, and you know when you're feeding a young kid, mm. even if it's something they really like, they don't eat what's on the plate, do they? They just <laughs> redistribute it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're like, so if you give them around. Like, yeah. I, I find the more you spend on the meal, the less they actually eat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And also, the more that they profess to be looking forward to it in the lead up to it, you think, oh, they're definitely going to eat all of this. And they don't. <laughs> it arrives and they just scowl at it. Yeah. Or There's they some just kind of inner eat. monologue going on, isn't there? Sort of like, you know, like, you can think, well, you, you, this is really expensive. We're spending money on this. You're really going to enjoy this. And inside, they're just going, nah, I'm just going to fuck with you. Yeah. I'm just going to purposely not do that. But yeah. I think this was just like a sandwich. But if you think, even like presenting a child with a sausage sandwich, they look at it like, like a sculptor looks at a big chunk of marble. It's like, <laughs> you give me this, I will present to you my life's work. And so he like takes the sausage to bits and he's got like a fork. And you know when they're in, a, especially in, like they chuck the sausage into halves and stuff, don't they? And there's ketchup and they take it to bits. And he was like spreading it around and spreading the ketchup and he's like stabbing bits of it with a fork but not even eating it. And <laughs> he put his cutlery down. And I was like, um, uh, because sometimes, sometimes he's just in a really bad mood anyway. But he seemed in a really good mood at this point. And I was like, so uh, would you mind just eating some of it now because everyone else is finished? <laughs> he just punched me in the balls. <laughs> <laughs> ah, brilliant. You, you know what? They're just sort of like, I fucking hate you now, Dad. <laughs> How dare you tell How me what to do? How dare you try and feed me? And it was, but it was one of those things where like... At a meal time. I just wanted to go... Yes! <laughs> like roll around on the floor but there were other people in this little kind of you know <laughs> was it, oh no 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 you should be gentle I don't remember don't to punch people in the balls yeah it's <laughs> little a, boy I was, I was in the middle of Stratfordshire you know I couldn't I couldn't writhe around on the floor so I was like thank you very much just eat the rest of that could I have another I'm yeah. not proud of it but my instant reaction to being hit <laughs> is to hit back Oh, no, see, this and, is and a really on two occasions. Yeah. <laughs> I've done the retracted hit, which still makes contact but isn't as hard as originally Pulling your punches, intended. Man, yeah. That's all right. And it's like, yeah, yeah. sorry, but you did just poke me right in the eye with a fucking now, knife. So yeah, this Jeez. is this is a really interesting yeah, yeah. one for me because 
Oh, we, we were talking, I can't remember what we were saying. I think it was on text message or WhatsApp. The other way. Oh, yeah, How you, hard yeah. can I punch my child? <laughs> <laughs> Is he conscious? Out, Keep on. Is there any blood? No, we're fine. You penned him. You said you penned him. Yeah, by yeah. I, I, it was one of those things where I felt like I'd I wanted to stab him <laughs> given in the him face. A, a small, easily achievable task that would also contribute to the running of the household. And he so I was like, with it. can you take those things that yeah. are yours that have been here for a while upstairs? Um, and he was doing the kind of, well, after I've done 17 other things, I'll still be ignoring you. Um, <laughs> so I picked up the stuff and I was handing it to him. I was like forcefully shoving the stuff into his arms. But then he was doing a sort of jump at the time. So I stabbed him in the face with a pen. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially... No, 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 no I can't, you might need to pick that apart a little bit. So the stabbing wasn't a punishment for the action. No, 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 yeah. the, pen, of, the pen yeah. was amongst the other things. It was right. It was one of the things that we bought from the Anne Hathaway's cottage. It was like a big feather biro. It was like a biro made to look like a feather quill. Well, I think it's more acceptable to stab them with a Shakespearean pen. Yeah, I think, <laughs> what is the murder weapon? Ah, it is a, a medieval feather kind, sir, weapon. which yes. I abstained from Stratfordshire. Yes. A white feather to show your cowardice, sir. Stab! <laughs> Take that, The quill the is now filled with the blood of an innocent. I shall write my script and sign my name. Yes. So... Essentially, so I had, in my head, I was forcefully handing him some stuff. The message being, you're at the foot of the stairs. Take this to the top of the yeah, stairs. Yeah. Whereas he was going, I'm just going to jump up the stairs. I'm not expecting there to be some stuff coming at me. So I jabbed him in the face with a biro as part of the handing him stuff. You didn't have to smash it in with your palm as well. <laughs> yeah, so I held him down. <laughs> um, See, that's, that's an accidental thing. But yeah. so, to, but, to it, go, but it, but it uh, the, the post, sorry, man. No, no. The, the, the sequel to that is we would. I was giving him his stuff to leave the house, and on the way out, about twenty seconds later, once he had taken it upstairs, he realised that it had scratched him very slightly, um, and he looked at himself in the mirror and he went, "I'm bleeding." And then we went out to the street and he went, "Daddy made my face bleed." <laughs> yeah, and not even you know, in a, not even like that actually, but in a high pitched child in distress. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Everyone in the world needs to know. Brilliant. And I was walking up the street with him going, I, there's not even anything I can do or say now, because if I try and shut you up, it'll seem worse. <laughs> there's not people around that can hear, but in my head, everyone in the neighbourhood is, is poking their ears out the window. <laughs> so I killed him. <laughs> no, I didn't. I buried him in the gun. Yeah. Yeah, so but that, that's a pure accident thing. So, you still hurt yourself. Oh, yeah. Of course you do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, you said, yeah. like, you... Your famous thing was like you trapped his skin in a popper of his oh, onesie God. thing. Like, yeah, I felt awful about it. Yeah, that. but so I can't remember the original point now. You were saying about Hating the re reactive thing. So yeah, it's reactive. Yeah. extreme pain, you instantly you go instinctively to stop react. what happening. So if yes. you jabbed something in and lodged it, in a sense, you smack him away. Yeah, yes. yeah. Do, do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, you're not yeah. hitting him, you're stopping the pain. Yeah, yeah. That's what's happening. So this, this is interesting because I've, I've totally changed my opinion. It's before having kids... I always thought like you never know, make physical uh, contact. Oh, well, oh. no, no. Actually, the other way around. I thought I'd always give them a I'd give them a clip if they were bad. Yeah. Having kids, I I never have apart from once when <laughs> apart from other people's <laughs> other people's kids are twatting. <laughs> 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 Just <laughs> walked out, walked through a crash. <laughs> Hey, baby is like punching a baby. He's yeah. punching a baby. It's like the it's like the gunfight scene from The Crow, <laughs> but with short people. Yeah. 
I tell you, no, so it is. I appreciate it's bad, but you walk out of there, you feel fucking amazing. <laughs> you just walk in, turn the lights out. You're all going to die. You just don't know it yet. It's really easy. All to the sound um, of the magic roundabout. <laughs> <laughs> the only time I've actually clipped one of them was, I think, justified because he ran up, sank his teeth into my inner thigh oh. to the point whereby I, oh, there's a scar on my leg. I'll fucking show you if you want. Mm-hmm. And it's still there, like, months later. So my instinctive reaction was exactly what you said. It's like, Punch I need to thing. get that off. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It doesn't matter if it was a dog, a ferret, or my boy. So I gave him a clip. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't a kind of, that's bad. He needs to be punished for that, and therefore I shall hit him. It was, something's biting something very close to my <laughs> yes. balls, and uh, that Jesus, needs to stop. Yeah, yeah I think I, I've done something similar, but perhaps not quite so understandable, whereas... I think I'd sent one, I think I'd sent my eldest to his room and he wasn't going. And so, and he'd like turn around and just scream directly into my face, Ooh, like full volume. That's bad. And I'd open palm smacked him, not like let knock him off his feet, smacked him, but like tapped him in the face mm. in a kind of like, is this what you do to a hysterical woman in the in a fifties movie? <laughs> you know, it's Some like you're hysterical. Calm yourself, you know. Yeah. And to be fair, it stopped him from screaming. And I th- and again, I think it's a similar instinct yes. that my brain had gone. The thing that's happening that needs to stop right now. Yeah. Um, well, not a sound is a a legitimate, yeah. um, well, painful thing, isn't it? That's yeah. sort of well, it's, when anyone's red face yeah, and screeching yeah. in your face, you want it to stop. But I mean, in retrospect, I would should have just walked away. Um, but I was like, stop, in a kind of, like, um, in my head, it was like, well, it's either this or the sort of special ops head twist, <laughs> um, yeah. which I which I wouldn't do. But, uh, yeah, but again, was, you get, you know, we're all human, aren't we? But the fact that we thought about it afterwards, I think, says good things. Well, I think a lot of people say online, if you're the sort of person that worries about this thing, about, if you're worried about being a horrible cunt, you're probably not a horrible cunt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I'm kind of, I still kind of go, well. I think perhaps I am. <laughs> it's fair game, yeah, though, because kids. our kids are horrible cunts, let's be honest. <laughs> this is it. They're just kids, and I know it's not their fault, but it's when you're a kid, it's within your nature to yeah. be a horrible, it's selfish yeah. cunt, unfortunately. Yeah, all, all, yeah, I think all all kids have that kind of anarchic, yeah. um, definitely on the devil's side kind yeah, of, yeah. well, at some point, everything's got to come round to me, because well, you, that's how you want them to be, isn't it? You want to bring them up thinking you're really important, really special, and really great, and... Mm. And I'm interested in what you say, even when I'm not. But I am. But, you know, yeah. but, I'm, but sometimes I'm yeah. really not. But then it's um, part of our job to show them limits of social interaction and what is acceptable and what is not. Yeah. Yes. If they don't find out from you, they're going to find out from someone else, potentially in worse circumstances. <laughs> like like yes. your eldest lying on the bed laughing hysterically with his legs up in the air, pulling his asshole out yep. and pointing at his cock, going, ah. my willy, my nads, my knob, my yeah. willy. So I think it's it's really that's important. That's how I finish every day. Yeah. It's really important to <laughs> let them know that that's not socially acceptable. Yes. Oh, I couldn't help laughing, to be honest. It's so but that's the thing. Is that I'm tempted to go and do that in a staff meeting next time. Uh, see what my happens. willy, my nads, my asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Worship fuckers! <laughs> <laughs> now what? And so you didn't need to chant it. We were all thinking it. <laughs> yes. Funnily enough, well, I see. I could have it in powerpoints as well, so that it synchronises, and then just dre- unzip back up and okay. carry on. And next, next image. My nose. <laughs> uh, the image after that. My asshole. And, uh... <laughs> I think what's brilliant though is that the way human 
human resources and things like that is now is that at some point, rather than anyone taking you aside, what would happen is there would be like a group email to everyone in the organisation <laughs> and it would just be kind of really vague. Like, And uh, recently we've noticed that certain members of staff <laughs> have been devoting rather more time than we'd like uh, to advertising uh, pridefully certain parts of their body. Publicising, if you will. Yeah, and the, emphasize, and the management would like to discourage that. Uh, uh, at any given point, if you feel that way, do come and talk to us. But we we strongly discourage it. <laughs> You'd be like, "Were you talking about me?" <laughs> but really, my dad's my asshole. The response email will be all in capitals, yeah, with images yes. and, and video links. And there'll only be five uh, words. You know what, I, there's such a small. There's what's quite a big part of me that, like, if I ever ha- get to resign from my job. <laughs> It would be an interesting way to do it. Definitely. (laughs) Never work again. (laughs) But anyway, before I potentially get myself the sack, I think we should move on to the next segment. So we at Sad Mad Dads want to know, what is the worst, what is the shittiest, most awful activity you've taken your children on and tried to pass it off as something good to entertain the young, growing, impressionable minds that you're now in charge of? We want to hear your parenting fails. We want to hear the worst places you've been to. Um, so, what the most terrifying place you've been to a half-term? It might have been an awful restaurant. It might have been some kind of terrible theme park. Whatever, we, whatever you've got. Tell us at Sad Mad Dads on Facebook. You can find us there and join the group. Please join the group. We will be able to give you updates of upcoming guests. If we're doing more interviews, you'll be able to suggest more people that we might be able to interview. That'd be absolutely fantastic. If you happen to know someone who is famous and a parent, why not put us in touch with them? We would absolutely love to talk to them. They can come to the studio here or we can go to them. Whatever works. Also, you can hit us up on Twitter. Tell us your parenting fails. We're, it's at Sad Mad Dads is the handle. And if you email us at info at sadmaddads.com and join the mailing list, then I have a very special offer for you, my friend. I will send you an MP3 from my upcoming album. It is a song called Man Man. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it on Bandcamp. But you will have your very own special copy of the superhero song Man Man about the superhero with no powers and I'll tell you something that is worth joining a mailing list for above and beyond all the amazing, amazing, amazing things that you'll get from joining the Sad Mad Dad's mailing list. So do that, all of it, right now. Okay, folks, so we promised it for a couple of uh, episodes now, but we were very lucky to get an interview with uh, Stuart Goldsmith uh, a couple of weeks ago. So the rest of the episode is probably going to be dedicated to playing as probably the first half of that. Um, really generous with his time. We're really grateful to him. Um, recently become a father himself, so it's quite interesting to get some insight with regards to that level of sort of uh, professionalism and success in the comedy world uh, and trying to balance it with being a parent absolutely and it was quite it was so exciting to get, go and to meet someone who's i mean i feel like he would probably be like a, a household name really kind of a couple of years time although i think every so often every year i think oh I, i'm going to be a household name <laughs> fairly soon so perhaps my judgment is a bit askew um but yeah i mean it was so cool because we we went to the is it called the genting arena now indeed genting 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 uh, NEC for those of you who live who are from the past 
seaters. So he was yeah. about to do a, a a a gig, a seismic, a, a landmark gig by anyone's standards. Really, opening up for uh, Jack Whitehall, Indeed. amazing Jack Whitehall. So, but yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. A little glimpse behind the curtain. He took us most of the interview. All of the interview was conducted in his dressing room, um, but we got to go and wander around the circulatory system of a rather large stadium. Oh, it was really nice when it could be got the sort of halfway through we got uh, interrupted, but it wasn't a problem by someone saying, oh, can you come and sound check? And it was really nice when he's like, hey, come along, lads, you come and stand out here and uh, yeah, yeah. and watch me sound check this enormous... Standing in an empty stadium. It's weird, wasn't it? It was absolutely brilliant. I think also um, we'd kind of got into our stride, but then I think I kind of fucked up the beginning of the interview because I was very aware that I was suddenly face-to-face with someone who I'd only really listened to on podcasts and watched on YouTube clips, and I was like, oh, so you're you're a real person. <laughs> you're definitely real, which is, um, you know, it's a, he, was, he was probably the perfect person to start off this, Absolutely. this new configuration of the show with, really. He was yeah, well, just I mean, the right you know, person. He came out to meet us from the car park to make sure we got in, and that he, you know, it was really, really accommodating, so very grateful to him. Um, but yeah, so this is the first half of that interview. Um, really lovely time from our viewpoint, but hope you find it interesting. Um, and we'll be giving you some details with regards to where to look up some more stuff from him afterwards. So we are here interviewing the brilliant stand-up comedian and host of the Comedians Comedian podcast, Stuart Goldsmith. Hello. I didn't know, was that a gap when I was supposed to say hello? Hello, everybody. Hello. That was, that was the hello gap. Uh, who's currently... Touring in support of Jack Whitehall. Yes, I am. How's that going? Yes, yeah, lovely. It's uh, it's my last night doing. Uh, I've I've only done. I've done four. I've got one more to do. And he's uh, very generously doled out his support slots amongst five different comics. So now some other bastard's going to get to oh, no. have all the catering and sleep on the tour bus and perform the ten thousand people a night. And but yeah, it was like we were saying before. I think. Um, uh, it, it's five nights doing arenas is it's been so much fun I'm so grateful for it the gigs have been wonderful the crew are all wonderful it's just great fun um, but I think if I had to do a month of them it would it, I, I don't know if it would be less fun but then I would like at the moment it's like a special week so I'm sort of doing bits of work during the day I go for a run in the morning stuff like that I think if you know I would need to be doing some pretty serious six hours of yoga a day to cope with it if it was more so you've been a stand-up for a long time now. Yes, yes, 12 years. 12 years. Mm-hmm. I was just going to jump in and pull you up on that bit about going running there because uh, we watched one of your uh, bits of your show on Facebook, one of your clips on Facebook this morning. Uh, do you tell people about it? Uh-huh, good point. No, I don't. Because the, the whole point of that routine is I hate it when people exercise in public and make me feel guilty about not exercising. Twice on this five-day thing, I've made myself go for a 15-minute run and I've only told you about it now because I tripped over and it came from a conversation. <laughs> I'm not asking for sponsorship and I don't want any help. But, but this is a recorded medium and so yeah. now you've just publicised it. So. Yeah, right, well, you got me, so-called Dan. <laughs> You're a secret health fanatic. No, well, do you know what? Listen, I'm uh, I'm not as young as I was and uh, the metabolism, I don't know if you guys are finding, is not bearing up like it once did. And also, in, in all honesty... Um, well, how boring do you want to get about this? I mean, I my metabolism is doing fine, but the problem is I've got asthma. I have allergy-related asthma. I've got I wheeze and I run out of energy. You know, I run out of breath running up steps. So I've started to get cold fear about it now that I have a one-year-old baby and consequently something to live for. What I was going to say was you're you're now performing in front of ten thousand people a night. Yes. 
not 10,000 people who have specifically come to see me. Even and often so, you can though, see the looks on their faces. They're like, who's this? And this wasn't part of the deal. Turns out it was part of the deal. But I suppose that must be really good as well, though. You're kind of, it's like a, a step into this world. Yes. Um, are you someone who's always had this in their sights? Who's always thought, I w- at some point I will be playing Wembley and now you have. I mean... Yeah, I mean, certainly it's a, it's a pretty awesome thing to have ticked off in, in one's year. I mean, it, it isn't the same as playing Wembley as yourself. You know, I mean, you can be, you can dream of being uh, the ball boy at Wembley or you can dream of being the goal-scoring guy yeah. at Wembley, you know, to, to use a football analogy, which I barely understood. <laughs> um, but so the, the, I think comedy is a sensual art. It's about, it's about the thrill of doing it. Well, it's about lots of things, but one of the things it is, is it's about your connection with an audience. Now, I have got years of experience of entertaining 100 or 300 people in a room I've got now I've got one week of experience of yeah. entertaining 10,000 people in a room and it is a different it's a qualitatively different thing I'm I'm going from doing like tonight I'm doing 15 minutes to 10,000 people this weekend I'll be doing an hour and 40 to maybe 50 people but it's my it's my show and they're there to see me so it will be you know better in some ways and not not as exciting in others and does the work does the the stuff what I was going to say earlier is does the stuff you're doing you're going to be doing tonight does that differ elementally because it's not your crowd does it have to be like yeah that's think- a that's a good question I, I think um I th- it's a good question that I ch- saw fit to interrupt. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> it's going to be amazing. <laughs> I think um, it, elementally is a really interesting word there. I think the the stuff that I'm doing, the material that I'm doing, is older material in the main. Um, like from maybe there's sort of a bit that I do at the beginning, which is kind of a bit of a warm up thing. It's original. It's my own thing. I get everyone in the audience to do, you know, that thing you do on a, on a date when you're a teenager, where you pretend to yawn and cuddle a person next to you. I get everyone to do that. And I've got, I've got maybe 20 jokes built into that bit. So it's a good little three minute icebreaker that takes us from who's this guy to, well, Hey, we're all having fun and we're all up and awake and stuff. So that's my bit. That's like an original version of a cheer if you this cheer if you that yeah yeah so so that's good but i don't do that at gigs anymore because now i i'm more interested in going right here's me here are my thoughts here's my life this is what i'm grappling with at the moment now in the circumstances of this gig whether it's ten thousand people or 500 when you're supporting another comic it's less about me and my life and what i'm grappling with and more about right we're all having fun okay now we're up to speed i've got about six minutes in which to go here's some things i like and here's some things i don't like yeah, and here's yeah. a funny thing that happened and it's actually all of my most punchline dense stuff like and uh, depending on uh, how nerdy uh, we could get here and you could cut this if it becomes too tedious but I, i've gone for much higher punchline density i'm doing a closing bit um, about which is like an old sexy bit. It's like a, a, a story of a hapless one night stand that I've been in a, a relationship. I'm now engaged to in a relationship for six years. This took place an awfully long time ago. And then it took a while for me to turn it into material. And I haven't done that material for ages, but it remains. I, I think of it as quite clubby material because it's, it's like word, laugh, another word, laugh, a look, big laugh, another word, laugh. And, and it's a really strong, clubby bit. Now, when you're out there and there's thousands of people there, 
if you do a joke that only makes 5,000 people laugh, this is what I've been learning this week, you've lost half the room. Yeah. Only 5,000 people. Like, yeah. like, that's more than I will play to on my entire tour of the thing. If only 5,000 people thought, ah, oh, and laughed out loud, and that's, you don't want smiles. You've got, they've got to, you've got to make, you've got to physically force them to laugh. Um, so there is less time to muck about enjoying texture and stuff like that, you know. So, so there's all sorts of different pressures operating on me from all sorts of angles. And is that what you thought, oh, I better do this when you got offered this gig? I think in one of your interviews, and I want to say John Robbins, mm -hmm. he says, oh, your stuff wouldn't translate in the yes, stadium gig. Yes, I think of that all the time. Right? I think, ah, yeah, so there you go. you were, John Robbins. Look totally. at my stuff, make it. He says, he says, my stuff wouldn't make sense in an arena. Your yeah. stuff wouldn't make sense in an arena. It bloody does, mate. There you go. It does. But I do, I think I see what he was getting at, and I'm sure he's done support gigs for people in arenas as well, um, that... It's about like he he his hour long show is a sort of poetic analysis of his anguish and all those sorts yeah, yeah. of things. Now, the, I think for an arena, if you're going to do an hour or two in an arena, you probably want more broad strokes than poetry and anguish. You want great big wham bang. That's the punchy stuff. Now. It, I'm sure John has got a lot of clubby stuff that would work in here, but I think he would probably experience something similar to, to what I've been describing. I, I don't think my tour show that I'm doing at the moment would fit in this audience unless there were 10,000 people there who were my fans who love what I do. Now, the reason only the very top most successful comics in the country are capable of playing arenas is you need to have a profile big enough that... You know, and you need to have a persona big enough that everyone coming to it goes, oh, he's the guy who this, or she's the woman who sees the world like that. You know, if you look at someone like Mickey Flanagan, I've always thought he's almost a brilliant comedian, but his character, he's like a Viz cartoon. Right. It's the, it's the self-educated Cockney white boy who's actually middle class now. You know, we know how he'll react to things. So you can bring 10,000 people together and go, it's this guy. Yeah, yeah. My stuff is a bit more like, oh man, this is some stuff about my grandmother having dementia and how I feel about it. And that is going to land less comprehensively with a group of people that big unless I suddenly become massively famous and everyone goes oh he's the guy who does the dementia stuff yeah well I, mean, I guess you want to that was the, such a long answer I can only no, apologise that was a fantastically <laughs> comprehensive answer and just the kind of thing we want um, I guess you want to be the kind of comic where you introduce a subject and the audience all go oh, I can't wait to hear what he's got to say about X well do I and want then to you be kind that of know yeah I mean that would be as, well, I don't, say one wants to be perhaps I don't think I am naturally that Right. One of my challenges as a comic, I think, something that I struggle with a lot, is who am I? Am I an insider or an outsider? Because I look like an insider, but I feel like an outsider. I feel like I notice things that are a bit odd. That You know, one of the jobs is, if you want to be Josh Widdicombe, the job is notice things that people haven't noticed they've noticed now i can do some of those i mean that's absolutely that's what observational that's comedy is way of putting it, yeah though. yeah that's i think seinfeld said that originally um but uh and and if i've just if it was actually josh that articulated that many apologies josh i've stolen that and put it in seinfeld's mouth and and, and he'll be remembered in a way that he and i <laughs> won't um so i i can do that but i often notice things that that i haven't noticed i've noticed and then i say them and a very small percentage of people go, oh, me too. And that's where you get the laugh from. 
the broader strokes of going, you know, the, and the, the example I always come back to is Seinfeld had an observation about he noticed one day in the shower that he always washed the different parts of his body in the same order. Yeah, yeah, now you're laughing because you recognise that because yeah, yeah, yeah. we all do that, but who knew that was a thing? <laughs> well, Seinfeld did. Great, yeah, yeah. bang. Um, whereas I'm more like, you know, one of my favourite bits is I used to have a bit about opening a box of eggs you know, they, they, um, at the cashier, the, the checkout lady or, or gentleman opens the box of eggs to make sure they're not broken. And at that moment, I like to lean into the eggs and say, all right, lads. And now, <laughs> you know, well, I'm, gl- I'm glad that you laughed at that because I think you already like my sense of humour. That is not an observation that will fly with a huge percentage of the population. So partly I'm thinking, how can I be more relatable? But at the same time, I've got this desire to, I know I want to be myself. Now, the self that I am is kind of, um, was forged in the pressure cooker of a school environment that I didn't very much enjoy. So I have a streak in me that doesn't want to be like everyone else because the everyone else that was first imprinted on me were a bunch of boys in school that I didn't feel comfortable being part of that group. So I almost have like, I've got this kind of emergency break that goes on whenever I catch myself thinking something that is a bit obvious. Now, part of the game, part of the whole thing is to think things that are obvious. And sometimes I say a thing on stage, I've got some build-up to a highfalutin clever idea. The build-up gets big laughs, the highfalutin idea gets nothing, and then I have to come away going, no, no, just say the obvious thing. Like, that, that it didn't even seem worth pointing out that thing about coffee or deck chairs or whatever. But actually me pointing out the obvious thing that I didn't want to say because it's too obvious gets a big laugh. So that's kind of the, I think some, everyone has different journeys within comedy and I think I'm aware of that and it's up to me now to decide, do I pursue bigger, broader strokes or do I pursue interesting stuff like the egg box joke? Yeah. So yeah. what I try and do is what I'm, what, you know, I'm the, the, the decisions I've made thus far are keep doing both keep finding my audience and maybe eventually maybe 10 years from now I'm doing 500 seaters of people that are really it keyed into my sense of humor and it's starting to happen in a tiny way and it's very exciting yeah yeah do you think that you there has to be a kind of a sacrifice of that that if you want if you want to go more I mean mainstream might not be the right word but if you want to hit that broader stroke does there have to be kind of a a compromise between your personal sense of humor versus what you think is going to be more accessible yeah I think so I think so. And um, I don't know. Some, there are some bits. I'm thinking of specific bits of material. Some, there are some bits of mine, like the bit I'm closing on tonight that's very clubby. It's a really good bit. It's really funny. But I worked on that bit with someone and they helped steer me towards things that are more relatable within the general point I was making. And those are now the most successful bits of that routine, which is partly why I don't do that routine anymore. I slight, it's very successful, but I look down on it because I think it's a little bit, um, it's, it's not that it's bland, it's a little bit kind of, <laughs> see, see if you can interpret what I mean by this. It's a bit, <laughs> yeah, do you yeah. know what I mean? It's just a bit, <laughs> oh yeah, okay, yeah. It's, it, if I saw someone do that material, it wouldn't delight me. Right. Whereas if I saw someone do the egg box joke, or I've got a new bit in my new show about the little robot that diffuses bombs. And I talk about he's the most humble robot. I love him. He's the opposite of a, presumably I can swear on this podcast. Yes. He's, oh, the, yes. he's the opposite of a drone, right? You know, the drones that take out weddings in Afghanistan. I, and the bit is in the, in the robot bar after work, 
I bet the little bomb robot is like a really humble nerd with a pint. And the drone <laughs> robots are like city boys going, see that Nespresso? I fucked her. And, you know what I mean? And, and for me, that delights me. And if I saw someone, do, I'd be like, oh, I love it. That's such a stupid idea, but that's somehow really funny. So I want to, I, yeah, I want to do those. And I think a musical, I come back to an, a musical analogy that... You know, I don't know that I want to be Coldplay, right? I don't know that I want to be U2. They are capable of doing really good. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of either of those bands, but they've both had moments that you go, oh, that goes right through me. You know, I want to be like the people I like. I want to be like Ben Folds or Cake or, you know what I mean? Just kind of well, It's interesting you say that because like I was thinking the whole time there was like a, a famous interview with Jeff Buckley, who I love, and they said you know, can you see yourself getting to this point in playing arenas? And he was saying, well, to play arenas, you'd have to, I'd have to be writing my version of Hey Jude. You know, you only really know they're out there if they're all singing along. And I'm, I can't write like that. And it's, it sounds very much like what you were saying about having to be so punchline dense. It's like, are you there? Yes. Are you there? Yes. yes. And it's not just like, like the punchline density for me is... There are, there are other kind of observations. It's not just about being something so dense in terms of the punchlines. It's about having observations that resonate with everyone. So the broader strokes resonate with the most people. So most people won't have considered it funny that look at, you know, they, a lot of people you'd need to spend a minute explaining to them who the bomb robot was. Do you know what I mean? So people aren't going to sing along with that. I'm going to use that for the rest of my life. That analogy, are the audience going to sing along with this? I don't think I'm a sing-along comedian. So I will probably only do arenas myself if I choose to do them instead of touring. I'll get everyone in the country to come to one gig and we can all sing along the bomb <laughs> robot joke together. But yeah. I'm, I may be proved wrong because... You know, it does, it feels good being out there. They like me. They get in touch afterwards and say, hey, we like that. Yeah, yeah. Without becoming a regular feature on Mock the Week or The Daily Show in America or, you know, hosting my own version of McIntyre's Roadshow, without something that really imprints me as, he's that guy, it's difficult to see how I could access enough people to the depth of engagement at which they would all want to pay 40 quid to come and see me in a huge room. And would you want to do that? Would you want to do your own TV show? Oh, Is yeah, that... yeah, yeah. Give me all that stuff. Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah yes. I do. I do. But again, it's that thing of, it's about the, the breadth of it. You know, I would love to do it on my own terms. I would not love to do it by jumping to someone else's tune or someone else's idea of what I should be. And even if you're prepared to jump through every hoop, plenty of those people don't get shows either. You know, really, if you look at people who did TV exactly as they wanted to do it, in their own interesting way. Well, who have you got? Stuart Lee, and I think that's it. And he, he had a, not a great time doing it as far as, from the interviews he's given. Yeah, I think he had to fight for a lot of things. Yeah. He had to fight for a lot of things. I think he enjoys or, or uh, I don't know if he enjoys fighting, but I think he, he fights a lot. Yeah. So that kind of, maybe that suits him. But um, yeah, to get yourself to a position where you get it all your own way, that's why I love my podcast, because that's, I'm the boss. Yeah, yeah. And there's no team of writers or, oh, no, or anything have, like that. I have a team of people working on all my questions. Um, <laughs> fact, so, absolutely not the case. <laughs> being someone that is at the moment going out in front of thousands of people and, uh, and getting them to come on board with what you've got to say, you used to be a street performer, uh, famously another kind of, um, someone like Amanda Palmer, mm -hmm. who was also famously a street performer before she became a, a musician. 
it's often said that she's accrued the transferable skills to bond with an audience through learning that bit by bit, day by day, as a street performer. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that you yourself have had any similar experience as a street performer, being someone that can sort of put yourself across to an audience and strike up that rapport? A hundred percent. I never met Amanda Palmer on the street, nor did I ever visit a pitch that she had been at. No, of course. And I believe she was a, was she a clockwork girl? Was she like a human statue? Yeah. Which she is a very was different like a, sort of yeah, street yeah. performing to the, the type that I did. But um, I certainly feel like, well, the, yeah, in a performative way and in a, a kind of a financial way, me and my friend Pete Dobbing, who I talk about on, on the podcast a lot, he's a, a, a fellow, well, I'm a former street performer. He's a current street performer, but he's also a comic. We realised that we were training ourselves to crowdfund before that was a concept. You know, you get a bunch of people together, you give them a free thing, and at the end you say, if you like that and you want there to be more of this in the world, like not if you want me to finish it now, but if you want me to be able to do this to other people, right. you pay. So there are certainly elements that I... So there's a financial element and there's also a performative element whereby, yes, I, I performance experience is all about stage time you can't necessarily become good by doing loads of stage time but it's very hard to become good without doing loads of stage time yeah and the street enabled me to walk out the door and put on a show whenever i wanted and and that was enormously that if you wanted to make a Stuart goldsmith that's that's an essential part of the training and are there tools like i notice in your stand-up there's a thing that you will do um like in the an hour show i don't want to do the bit but you talk about that sort of special ops neck twist. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and there's a sort of... Oh, I've um, never called it that before, but yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Jack Reacher, Jack Bauer. Yeah, sure. Um, you have a sort of conspiratorial moment where you sort of go, listen, guys, this is what I think about this. And it's as though you're kind of um, drawing people in, drawing people to you. Is that, oh, I mean, do you have well, any no, sort of tools that... The, at the beginning of the bit when I say... Yeah, you almost hey, you muse that, upon... Yeah, exactly, I say I something think... like... That neck thing is that is that real? Yes. Okay, that's the bit that I say. So, what's the question? Do you have any? Is that I was using that as an example as a, a thing that you do that works in a live environment yes. to say is are there tools that you've honed as a street performer that enable you to draw people in? It's that's a good question. It's difficult to say because I've also done twelve years as a comic, so maybe that's something I learned as a comic. I do think that I do think that on the street you have to be huge. And one thing I love that I really enjoy, I relish and overindulge in, is being able to be quiet and breathe and look confused and stay in the moment because I never got to do that on the street. You all, I always had to be shouting and running in circles. So some of my, whenever I go into a new venue and I'm doing a sound check, which I do not always do because who needs to when you're coming, but to check that the mic is good, I do this. I go... Because there is a bit that I used to have, which I used to love doing, whereby that would be part of it. It's like, um, like I'm a huge fan of Damien Rice. Right. And Damien Rice is great at silence. He's so good at the spaces in between the notes. And I really like that. And I really like investing and, f and exploring and mining comedy from those moments of a person said this to me. And I looked at them and went like that. I, I love that. I'm hooked on that. So that's sort of an answer to your question because that is something you can't do on the street that I love being able to do indoors. Right. Um, and I think I've got between the street and I was an actor for a bit, I've got lots of performance skills. Sometimes they are counterproductive for stand-up comedy. I very frequently used to get called slick in reviews of my stand-up 
And that was not an adjective that I particularly liked because it seemed to me that contains a suggestion that it's not f- not real. Right, yeah. I yeah. think as a, as a comic, you can be someone who does a wonderful pantomime of what you mean and you replicate it perfectly every night. And that's not really the same as, you know, comedy is just a person talking. And actually, there is an extent to which you need to unlearn it. I sometimes feel as a comic, I, one of my private fears is I come across as a bit stage school. Not that I've been to stage school, but I, you know, I'm okay. naturally slick. I've got lots and lots of road miles. I've got lots of, I, I can naturally now command an audience of 300 people without a microphone because I can just, I know where to look. I know what points to hit. I know how to draw everyone in. And that's not really the same as being a person with a mic trying to honestly talk about your feelings in a yes. funny way, you know? So I sometimes feel it's a, an obstacle to be overcome. Well, I suppose a lot, your stuff though, it seems to me it's quite conversational. It's an enviable mix of being very conversational, almost storytelling, but being very joke joke as well thank you that's like sort very of 20 nice to 30 hear. seconds that's, that's what i'm going for thanks yeah <laughs> but it doesn't feel you'd like sort of go i'm introducing a subject this is a thing yeah. and then we're moving on it seems as though you, you are genuinely putting stuff over and it which seems to speak of painstaking editing do you find is i mean it's i'm assuming family life is encroaching upon that do you oh, it is it's is is. difficult it, to it, find the it, writing time to do that before we get onto the writing it, right. the editing is mostly in performance and in repetition of performance, because I definitely, that was definitely a thing I picked up from the street, was trying to make the joke work perfectly. And you have infinite opportunities to do the joke. So you do it again, you do it again. And each time you change it and tweak it and you try it. And that's how you end up, like, that's how I used to make work. And then that is, I think, what people call slick. Right. So actually trying to undo that work, something Ross Noble does is, you know, it doesn't he doesn't take the ideas and make them better each night. Once they start working, he takes them apart. He takes them to bits again the next night. I'm, I always have that in the back of my mind. I'm not like that kind of comic, really. But if something is getting too slick, I do try to trip it up and make it a bit rougher because my instinct is to perfectly replicate last night's performance with a slightly better tweak on it but at the end of the day, I'm not a magician. I don't want it to be slick. I don't want it to go patatatata, papa, <gasps> boom. Yeah. I, I can do that, and it's my instinct to do that. But sometimes it's better if it goes for the. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never, exactly. I've never articulated like that yeah, yeah. before, but you get what I mean. But yeah. I suppose in that respect, rather than magician, it's more like a. It is more like a, a gig where you want the person, this, the singer, to be putting across something that means something to them yes you don't want an x-factor throat wobbler yeah you want nina simone with her voice breaking yeah or damien rice yeah more of that interview next podcast and if you want to hear more stuart goldsmith stuff you can download his albums an hour and extra life if you enter stuart goldsmith comedian into google i'm sure you will get his website and listen to his podcast the comedian's comedian where he talks to comedians about their process Perhaps if you're new to that, the best places to start would be the one with Sarah Millican uh, or Seymour Mace. You can see two different comedians at very maybe slightly different points in their career. Very funny, very interesting, very moving interviews. If you want to hear any more of my stuff, I've got um, a live album coming out fairly soon, which we recorded at the Hexagon Theatre in Birmingham, and a, a, a dead album, or a studio album, as most people call them, um, some of which are on Bandcamp at the moment. That's richstokes.bandcamp.com. And of course, you can find the links in the show notes at sadmaddads.com to all the bits and bobs that we've been talking about in the episode. 
Well, that just about wraps it up for this episode because we have run out of time. Um, we're going to have the second half of that interview with Stuart Goldsmith uh, next episode, so watch out for that. Uh, thank you very much, Rich Stokes. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Pontus Winter. Thank you. And we will see you all next time. The Sad Mad Dads podcast is free to download and always will be. You can find a shed load of free audio, comedy and music and also get in touch on our website, sadmaddads.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can also find the link to our Patreon page on the website and every little helps. You can also help us by leaving us a five-star review wherever you can and telling your friends about the show. We really appreciate your support. Thanks for listening. 